Good morning. Good morning. Glad to see you all here. Hope you had a wonderful uh, Christmas. Merry Christmas to you all. Uh, hope you had a great week this week. It's, it's hard to believe as we gather today that this is our last worship gathering of 2012. I feel like we just started 2012. We, we spent most of our year doing a big overview series uh, covering the whole year, and it's hard to believe that that's come to an end and we're almost finished now. And so uh, this this last week, uh, although we're, we're now past Christmas, what we've done uh, with Advent and, and leading up to Christmas this year is we've, we've done just a few weeks on contemplating together the, the idea of the incarnation of God coming down and in the flesh and what that means. And if, you, if you've been here the last few weeks, the first week, Chris took us through uh, Hebrews 1, and we talked about the radiance of the glory of God that is Jesus, and he comes down and we see God in Christ. And then the last couple weeks we've been in 1 John, and we talked about how the incarnation Jesus coming brings us fellowship with God, but then it also, through that fellowship, the next week we looked at the joy that is available because that we have fellowship with God. And then this week what we're going to do is, is really just finish up this series, kind of wrap this up before we move into the new year. And, and today we're going to... Still be on that idea of incarnation, and we're going to spend a little bit of time in Romans chapter. The idea of what I want us to be thinking about this this morning is, is why did Jesus have to talk about his work and his atoning work and what he does? And so today we're just going to think a little bit about why he had to come in the flesh. And so we're going to, to do that, like I said, we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, and we're going to be, uh, if you want to follow along, uh, the Pew Bibles, although a lot of them aren't in here because we moved in here quickly this week. But they're on page 612 if you've got a Bible like this. If not, just if you want to follow along in yours, we're going to be in Romans 5. Because of this series, we don't do this a whole lot where we, we jump around from passage to passage. Because of this series, thinking on the incarnation and talking about that, we've done that a little bit. And so I always like to at least set the context a little bit before we jump in. To be in Romans 5, we need to account for Romans 1 to 4 to get there. Because Paul's argument, you know, a lot of times Romans is said to be the greatest theological work ever, and his argumentation is so tight and one thought to the next to the next. And so let me just give you real, real briefly big idea of what Paul covers before we get to Romans 5. You know, Romans 1, 2, and the first half of 3, Paul's telling us that we are sinners. We are sinners, and it is nothing that we can do to be saved, and it doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious or where you came from, we're all sinners and we're all accountable to God because of our sin. And he makes that real clearly. And then you get to the middle to end of, of Romans 3 and there's this beautiful picture of the gospel of what Christ has come and he's taken away God's wrath by what he's done for us. And it's all Jesus. And then he moves in to chapter 4 and he says it's always been that way. We've always been saved by faith. And he uses Abraham as the example. He says even Abraham, God counted it to him as righteousness because he believed. And so it's always been through faith. And then you get into uh, chapter 5, at the, or I'm sorry, chapter 4, and, and in chapter 4 towards the end, or then into chapter 5, excuse me, as, as he gets that, that we've been reconciled to God because of what Jesus has done. And then he goes into this comparison in our text this morning of Adam and Christ, and he makes this comparison of, of, of by looking at the two together, Adam the first man and Jesus coming is, is what Paul will call it, the second Adam that, that undoes the work of Adam. And he makes this comparison, and by doing that, we see more clearly Christ's work and how beautiful and wonderful and magnificent what he's done is. And so that's what we're going to look at today and then kind of pose that question with the incarnation. But before we do that, let's read Romans 5. We're going to look at verses 12 to 21, and then we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into it. But let's read it together first. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. 
Yet, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through the one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if by one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, but by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those verses together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what it teaches us. We thank you for the way you've revealed yourself to us, that we can know you through your word. And so we just pray this morning that you would be here to guide us in that. We just confess that without your spirit, uh, we are hopelessly lost. And so we need you here this morning to guide us, to open our eyes and to soften our hearts and to apply it to us. And we ask that you would do that this morning. And through doing that, that you would be glorified and honored, that we would be just overwhelmed with the beauty and majesty of what you've done for us and who you are. And that it would just lead us to praise you all the more, make you the center of our lives. We pray that you would work in this time and through your word. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And so this is just big picture. What I want us to do as we move through this this morning is we're going to go at it like this first. Just the effects that Adam has in his sin on all humanity. And Paul shows us it is far reaching. Far, far reaching. And so I want us to see the fullness of what happened through Adam's sin. And then secondly, we're going to kind of compare that to Christ's work and how Christ's work is so much greater that it can cover all that Adam had done through his sin spreading. And then lastly, we're just going to consider why, why the incarnation is essential. Why Christ had to come to take care of all this. Why him coming covers that work. And so that's the way we're going to look at this this morning. And so let's just first consider what Paul's telling us about Adam and the effects that is Adam's sin and it spread through that the effects that that had on humanity. And so as we think about this this morning, the way Paul does this, and as I was talking about just saying, you know, Paul is so meticulous in his argumentation and the way he goes from one thing to the next and everything he's doing, he's making so clear different parts and he's showing us. And so he goes into this section here in Romans 5 to compare. And so by seeing things that are different and, and, and looking at them together, we see more fully what Christ has done. It's, it's, uh, I was trying to think of a good example. It's maybe not the best of example, but I have two dogs. I have a new dog that is a puppy that is big and gray. And his name is Buckley, and Buckley is kind of crazy. And, and if I asked you to describe Buckley and you saw him, you'd say, well, he's big and he's gray and he's puppy, whatever. You know, basic things you would see. Then I have another dog, and his name's Chuck. And Chuck is a Chinese pug, and he's 14 years old. And Chuck is short, and he's fat, and he's loud, and his tongue hangs out, and he slobbers a lot, and all these... 
And so if you put the two together and you said, tell me what's different, suddenly you would see a lot of differences. They're both dogs, but they're very, very different. You would see that Buckley's strong and lean and Chuck is not, and you would see Chuck is loud and Buckley is not loud. And so when we say, I just say that as when we take two things that we see very different, we see the differences, it clarifies things about it and it shows us more. And so kind of what Paul's doing here is by comparing Adam, the first man, the head of all humanity, and then Christ who comes as the one that's going to take away his work. As we see the fullness of that, we, we see more clearly what Christ has done. And so that's what we're looking at and thinking about this morning, the effects of Adam's sinning and what that does. And so to, to get into this and really think about Paul's argument and what he said, let's look at verses 12, 13, and 14 again together for just a second. And so therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one who was to come. So I want you just to understand what Paul's saying. He's he's laying out what we'd say a very big doctrine, a very big teaching of the church, a very important one to our belief as as Christians and what the Bible teaches. And and Paul's getting to us in really this idea of original sin, or sometimes we call it uh, imputed sin or inherited sin, and, and that is that we are born sinful. That when Adam sinned, right, he says that right up there at the, in the beginning, that in, in, if you look at verse 12, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. And so we get this idea of sin came in through Adam, and at that moment as sin entered into the world, as you go back and God told Adam that you're not to eat of this tree and he ignored God. We've been saying that over and over. Sin is ignoring God and his world. And he ignored him and sin entered in. It entered into the human race and into Adam, the first man. But then through that it would be spread to all men down through time. It entered in. And so we, we are born sinful. Each and every one of us from that point on. Sin has entered. And so Paul starts to make this argumentation. And as he does, he just meticulously goes through and he's showing you how that works and how that's the case. And so he says death enters with sin. Again, we say death is not part of who God created us to be, but when sin entered, then death was a result of that. And so Paul, as he, his mind worked and he goes through so clearly, he says sin entered, and then from then on everyone has died. <clears throat> and so death is the consequences of sin. And so as you see every person dying along the way, you see that they are sinners, right? That we're all sinners. And he, and he makes that case even before the law came in with Moses. There was that time between Adam and Moses. He said even though they didn't have the law and even though they didn't have spelled out exactly so they could see their sin so clearly, they all still died. Right? And he's showing us that just clearly that, that all uh, have, have sinned and we all die. And so he uses that logic. And then he takes it just one step further. And look at what he says there. He says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. For those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the... And so he makes this kind of... He, he throws this in there that even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. And so I was trying to think, what's a good example of what he's talking about? Not like the transgression of Adam. And you think about, well, how was Adam's transgression? And it was, God said, don't do this, and Adam did it. Right? He had a clear, you don't do this. And, and, I, and I was reading one commentator this week, and they, and they brought out and said, well, I think probably the best example is that of infants. That there's, there's many infants that die. I mean, you see that today, that uh, children are born with defects and different things, and they live a day or two, and then they die, but yet they die. 
And so the picture there is even though there may not be a willful disobedience of where they just ignored what God told them, yet they still died. And so that picture and what, what Paul's helping us see is that sin is in us, that it is inherited, that it is imputed to us, it's given to us through Adam because he was really the head of all humanity. We're, we're all there in a very real sense in him because no one, we all come from Adam. So it's, it's passed down to us. And so we're all sinful. We're born sinful. It's in us and through us. And so as we see that, he, he shows us that picture that all humanity, that every single one of us, every person on the face of the earth is born sinful. We're born into sin. We're born in with a natural uh, bent away from God. But that's who we are. And that's what the Bible teaches about who we are. And so as I was thinking about this this week, and I thought just practical application of our sinfulness and who we are, uh, immediately what came to my mind was the shooting that happened in Connecticut a couple weeks ago. You know, I've seen over and over the last few weeks, and I've read lots of different commentaries and different, I mean, comments and different things and all these things on uh, why that happened. And people say, well, it happened because there's too many guns. And then some people say it happened because there's not enough guns. And then some people say it's bad laws. And some say it's because we need better controls or we need better mental health or we need to stop bullying. All these things, on and on and on. And, and by the way, I'm not making light of any of those things. All those things we... Sh- should thoughtfully consider because we're sinful people. And, and the answer of why things like that happen, why evil happens in the world is because we are sinful people. Man is sinful and we're born into that. We're born inherited sin through what Adam did and it's passed down to all of us and we're <coughs> sinful. And so the idea is uh, why can something so awful happen? It's because we're sinful and because we walk further and further away from God and we keep turning from him at every turn. And these horrible things happen. And that's not to make light of those. But it does center us on the reason things happen. And it's man's ignoring of God, of pushing him away. And so as I was thinking about that, just to help us you know, think through when all those things come up and a tragedy like that happens, it reminded me of a quote of uh, Dr. Tim Keller says, and he says it like this, and it really helped kind of put this in perspective. It says, in the biblical view of things, the main problem in life is sin, and the only solution is God and his grace. The alternate to this view is to identify something besides sin as the main problem with the world, and something besides God as the main remedy. That demonizes something that is not completely bad and makes an idol out of something that cannot be the ultimate good. And that's what we're doing in our world. Right? The problem is guns. Right? The problem or the solution is more guns. Or the pro- whatever it is. And so we're, we're, we're identifying the problem as something that it's not. Because the problem is man's sinfulness and the answer is God and his grace. And so that just very practically is, is, is you see that and as you think through what's going on in our world and what's happening, that's the biblical view of things. The problem is our sinfulness. And so when we think about what, what he's telling us about Adam here and what we're seeing is that, that through Adam, he sins, sin enters the world, all men are sinful. And it spreads to all people. And then at the end of verse 14, he says, Adam, who is a type of the one who was to come. And so he starts to point us to Christ. He says Adam's a type or a comparison. I'm comparing Adam to Jesus now. That's what Paul's kind of telling us and pointing us to. And so then that's what I want us to move to the second thing, compare the work of Christ to Adam and what he says. And I want you to see what Paul's saying here. We're not going to read through all these verses again, but just zero in here on verses 18 and 19 and what Paul says about Christ coming and his work. And so he says, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, 
So one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. And then verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. And I love this. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where grace, grace abounded all the more. And so the picture I want you to see, and I want us just to think about in the comparison here. And there's a lot, we could spend a long time just on these few verses, but big picture we're looking at this morning. That Adam sins, and sin in a way was kind of like the spark that set the fire. And it starts, and then sin spreads into all humanity through all time and all people, and it's inflamed all of it. And as I was thinking about the vastness of what Paul's saying, I want you just to think as you sit here this morning, the sins, you know your own heart and your own mind and what was going on with you this week and maybe the thoughts you had or the frustrations or you lost your temper or whatever it is in your own sin in your own life. And then you look around the room and that's multiplied times 150 or so other people. We all just this week, just in our sin and, and what we've done and the way we've rebelled against God. And then you think about the sin in this world. All over this world today and the way that we ignore God and the fullness of that. And then you think about the sin of all time. All men from the very beginning coming down, ignoring God, and sin upon sin upon sin. Shaking our fists at God. And where are you and what are you doing? All the while, we're the ones that are ignoring him and bringing all kinds of heartache and problems. And so you see Paul kind of pointing this picture of sin entered through one man and it spread to all people and all and the death and what comes through it. And then he says in verse 20, but where sin has increased grace abounded all the more. Or in verses 18 and 19 when he says, yes, sin came through this one man, but now that Jesus has come, he's come and take care of all of it. And he's provided a way for you to come back to God and to cover your sin and to take it away and to wash you clean and all the things that we just sang this morning. And so Paul's showing us, he's giving us this this beautiful picture of how through Adam sin entered and spread to all people, but now through Christ he comes and it can all be taken away and covered in his sacrifice and what he does. And so he makes this comparison. You see the vastness of the awfulness that comes to the sin of Adam, so you see the vastness of what Christ has done. And by making that comparison, I want you to see how big it is what Jesus has done, to make much of, of what Jesus has done. And so you get that picture, just real big idea but this is what I want us to get to this morning, just as in this series and what we've been doing and talking about the incarnation, taking us to this. Uh, Jesus comes. Why does he have to come to cover all that? Why does he have to come to take away sin? Why does he have to actually come down in the flesh to us for that? And as Chris alluded to this morning when he first read, I want us just to think big picture overall, and then we'll get to this a little more specifically. But big idea God relates to man through, through covenants, through promises, through things that he tells them. And, and he says, you do this, and, and it'll go this way for you. If you ignore me, it'll be in all kinds of problems. And he always does that. And that's what we were reading this morning, and you see that. He says, you follow me, and, and things will go well. God is the maker of all things. He made it all. He puts it together. He says, this is the best way it works. And so follow me. And you see that throughout the Old Testament. And he's saying that over and over. Follow me and trust me and there'll be blessings. You ignore me and there's all kinds of terrible consequences that come. And you see that all, all the way back with Adam and Eve. Right? We spent last year talking. We kept going back to that over and over. They're in the garden and God says to Adam, you can eat of any tree, just not this one. And trust me on this. You don't want this one. Right? And so what Adam and Eve do, they decide, 
oh, we're going to go out on our own. We're going to ignore God and the world he created. That's sin. And they do it, and then there's all kinds of problems. And God told them up front. He says, if you ignore me on this, death will come. You will die. And so they decide to test God on that, and that's what happens. Right? There were these wonderful blessings open to them that they could live with God in this beautiful place that he's provided and all their needs taken care of and all these things. And they decide to say, no, we're going to go with this. And so the curse of death comes in. And it enters. And you see that throughout. You get it in Exodus. Right? God gives the Ten Commandments and he saved his people and he's drawn them out. And he's given them all these things and he says, I love you and, and this is what it looks like to follow me. Now just trust me and do these things. Right? And he says, and if you do these things, you will be my treasured possession and it will be wonderful and all this will go so well. It's like what Chris was reading this morning. And he says, and if you don't, there's going to be all kinds of issues and problems. And he tells us that over and over and over. And what we do throughout scripture and what we do today is we ignore him. We say, okay, yeah, God says that it works best to do this, right? Be monogamous in one relationship. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Do it this way. It works best this way. And our world goes, yeah, whatever. We'll do it our way. And all kinds of issues come from that, right? All the way down the line, all the things that God tells us. And so what we do is we ignore him over and over again. And as we ignore him, God in his perfect justice, his wrath is just against those sins. And it's building and it's all this. And that's, that's kind of the backdrop. That's the picture. Right? God in his perfect justice can't have and just sweep those things under the rug. His wrath rests on our sin and our ignoring of him. And so Christ comes in the flesh to deal with the curses part and the blessings part. He comes to do both. And I want us to take the curses first and then we'll come to the blessing. But you want me to think about this. Right? First is the curses. There, there are curses and there are consequences of our sin and we've ignored God and all these things. And so Jesus comes to pay our debt and to take on those curses because we deserve those curses. We deserve the consequences because we've done the sin. We've ignored them. That's what we deserve. But Jesus says, I will come down and I'll take the curses for you. I will become your representative sacrifice just like Adam was the representative of all man because he was the first man. Right? You see the comparison. And that's what Paul's hitting at. Here And it says, so Christ will come and he comes to be our acceptable sacrifice and he humbles himself and he becomes fully God, fully man. Right. That's what we historic confessions of the faith. Jesus is perfectly fully God and at the same time, perfectly fully man. And he comes down and he humbles himself and he becomes as, as Hebrews two. And we get to the answer. Why does he have to do this? Hebrews two helps paint that picture and tells us in Hebrews two, it says, therefore, he had to be made like his brothers. Us is what it's talking about there. In every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has also suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And so what scripture tells us is there's no other way for this to work. That Jesus has to come and be just like we are. He comes in and he becomes a man. He becomes fully God, this perfect picture, and he comes and he humbles himself to be like us in every respect. And he walks into a fallen world and all the heartache and all the problems that go with us. And I want you just to think about as Jesus comes in and just walks and, and lives and breathes, there's heartaches and there's the curses of sin all around him. And he's enduring all of it all along the way. And if you, I want you to think about that for just a second. Perfect God comes down and he walks in the, on the earth. And he's dealing with sin, he's dealing with rejection, he's dealing with death, 
Right? I want you to think, uh, in the scriptures it tells us, we see Jesus when he's 12, and then we see him again when he's 30. And somewhere in there, uh, his, fa- his earthly father, Joseph, died. And so Jesus dealt with the loss of the man that was raising him, his father, his earthly father. And so Joseph, he, you see Jesus is dealing with the curses of sin, which are not his sin. Jesus being perfect, it's not as a result of his sin that these curses are here, but the the sin of mankind. And so as he's walking, he's dealing and he's suffering, and he's walking through all the things that we we walk through. Uh, You see it with Lazarus, his good friend when Lazarus dies, and you see Jesus weeping and just the the hurt and the pain of that. And you see as he, he walks through and he's persecuted by people, and they come at him and they attack him and they call him names and they do all these things. They seek to kill him. All of this stuff because of sin. Because of our sin, because of the sin of mankind, and, and he's walking and he's experiencing all of that all along the way. And I want you to think part, sometimes maybe we miss, is Jesus walks through life and he deals with heartache and with sin and all that goes with that. We, we suffer when our friends suffer, or maybe your children suffers, or your spouse, or whoever it is, and they're suffering. Your suffering is very real with them, but we're still sinful. Right? You go visit somebody and you, you feel bad for them and you, 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 your heart goes out and you go, oh, that's so bad, that's whatever. And, and because we're sinful and because we're self-centered and we're self-absorbed, we go, oh, but what am I going to have for dinner tonight? Right? And I don't make light of that, but that's, that's how we are. Or I've got to get home because I've got to do this. And, I, and we become self-centered, right? Our self-centered so quickly creeps up. I want you to think when Jesus walked <laughs> on earth and he saw heartache and sin, and pro- he isn't self-centered. He's perfect. And so he felt the pain of all those around him so fully and so perfectly because there was no self-centeredness. There was no going back to his own, oh, I've got to do this. Jesus was just there, and you see him weeping and caring about people, and his heart going up because he sees it completely. And so all the way through, you see him dealing with the effects and the curses of sin just in the way he walks. And there's a real clear application there that is so wonderful and beautiful about Christianity and serving a God who came down into time and space. He knows your suffering. He knows what you're going through. Because he entered in and he walked and he dealt with it and he felt it and he, and he saw it and he had, had those feelings and all those things. And so we don't serve a God who's far off, that's removed and doesn't know what you're dealing with. He knows exactly what you're dealing with. And exactly the heartache and the things that you're going through. And he's right there. But not only does he take on curses and, and the sin and seeing it in the way. Uh, eventually as he goes to the cross, he becomes the curse. Cursed is the one who hangs on a tree. Jesus goes to the cross and he says, I will take on the sin of all those that put their faith in me. I will take all of it. And he does. And he takes it on and he takes the wrath of God against that sin. And he's broken off from the perfect love of the Father that he's had for all eternity, and he takes that on, and he deals with our sin and our curses, and he says, I'll do it for you, but he had to come, and he had to walk, and he had to live, and he had to do all that to take that on, and so he comes in, and he does that, and he pays it all, and so the picture is, we deserve the curses, we're the ones that have ignored God over and over, not Jesus, but he says, I will take your curses, I will become the curse before for you, right, 2 Corinthians 5, he who knew no sin became sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. He says, I'll pay it. I'll pay all of it. But he had to come to do that. You see that in verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. 
Jesus does it for us. And he takes care of the curses and he takes it on to himself and all and he pays for it. And all our guilt and all our sin and all our things are paid for and they're done. And he takes all of it. And he says, I will do it. But that's not all he does because the other side of that is the blessings. Right? If we're obedient to God, it says if you follow me and you do these things, there's blessings that come. Well, we haven't done that, so we don't deserve blessings. But Jesus comes down and walks with us and walks in our place, and he does do perfect obedience. Every single decision, every single step along the way, he does it perfectly. And so he deserves all the blessings, every single one of them. And so not only does he come and become a curse for us and take our sins and pay our debt and all the things that we deserve by our sin, he says, I'm going to live the perfect life and then I'm going to give you the blessings that you don't deserve any of them. But not only am I going to pay for your bad, I'm going to give you my good. And so he says, I will walk and I will do all of it. And so he lives the perfect life and he keeps all of it. And then he says, I will give you the blessings. And so as we, we come to the end of Advent and, and celebrating Christmas, I can't think of a better way to end that time than to point to the blessings that Jesus purchases for us, which is the greatest gift that's ever been. What better way to end that time and to think about what Christ has done. And so we get the fullness of that on both sides. Not only does Christ take away our sin and our guilt and our shame, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his perfect life, his perfect obedience. He says, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to address you in that. I'm going to present you to the Father. I'm going to say, look. And you get restored in that fellowship and the joy we talked about the last few weeks and all that. And we see all of that. And it all had to happen because Christ had to come and do all of it on our behalf, being made in every way like us so that he could present us in that way. And so as we come to this end of, of Christmas and, and just this time as we think about the the, the picture of God coming down and what he does. What a beautiful picture that he gives us the gifts of all of that. And, and that's my hope as we move into a new year and we start to think about what's ahead and we kind of leave Christmas behind, that that would just be over us and under us and through us and we would relish the beauty of the unfathomable gift of Christ's righteousness on our behalf. The blessings he just pours out on us even though we don't deserve them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. There's no other posture to take when we consider what you've done for us in Christ, but just to say thank you that you didn't leave us in our sins, that even though we ignore you over and over, that your grace abounds all the more, and you come and you love us, and you pay for our awfulness and our are just disregard of who you are and you take it on yourself and then you just lavish blessing upon blessing on us in Christ. And so we thank you for that. We pray that we would be moved to just uh, overflowing to praise you for all that you've done for us, that it would just uh, empower us, that we would want to see you glorified in all things because of what you've done for us in Christ and who you are. We pray all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Mm-hmm.